<laughs> hey, Lois, look at me, I'm podcasting on TPN. <laughs> You're listening to the Podcast Network. Listen, learn, evolve. It's Sunday the 19th of March, 2006. This is the Two Web Crew, number two. Hit me with some beatboxing, Ben. Yeah, motherfucking niggas, confess two have been in the house. <laughs> <laughs> He's a member. Have you been drinking? <laughs> no, but, but these guys before said that I couldn't say the C word, so there. Wasn't that there, man? Man, Napoleon Dynamite, man. Don't f with the n. I won't say the n. I won't say the n word, man, because that's a that's a really dangerous word to well, say. You already no. have. You're. You've, I'm already going to have to start beeping you again this week. Man. I mean, ninety five percent of this industry is male, you know. So like the the four percent of the um you know industry, the people that want to do um Tara Hunt and uh, Chris Messina goes out with her, and that's in another whole effing country. Where, where Nick the Dick, you know, the VC boy, is um, there at the moment. <laughs> so let me just uh, do the rounds. We'll do some intros. I, I think uh, my name is Cameron. People probably know me. Um, you might remember me from such educational films as, yeah, Ben, Baron, everyone knows from the last <laughs> web show. Uh, Rich, everyone who listens yeah. to the G'day World knows who Richard Giles is. Duncan well, that's Riley. The, the other three. Duncan, you and I haven't been on a podcast since about a year ago. It's, it's been far too long, Cameron. You you interviewed me about uh, over a year ago, I think, for one of your podcasts. Tell us, uh, give us the 30-second intro on Duncan Riley. Oh, well, according to the Sydney Morning Herald, I sold the Blog Herald for 100 grand, and I can't actually disclose the figure, but I can only say I wish. Um, what I'm doing now, I'm... Uh, what does that mean, a... really? Duncan, what does that really mean? Oh, I can't actually give you a figure. That would uh, be... Well, amazing. I mean, it was a... There was a 72,000 US, you know, number that was the, like the latest, um, you know, bid. Then it was going to due diligence. Did it, um, did anything much change during due diligence? Yeah. Or what? Um, the, the actual initial guy who bought the site for 72 actually dropped out. Um, he, he was on the blogger. He di- didn't really get web 2.0. He was more looking at figures and whatnot. And, uh, for whatever reason, he decided to pull out. Um, look, it and did the go exchange for a rate to Bunbury is not very big anyway, is it? <laughs> it's not. Uh, but look, it, tell us, tell us why you can't tell us. Um, I've got a contract that says I can't. That was p- part of the deal, and I why? think it's probably probably because the probably because the guys who bought it probably want to flog it for a whole lot more later on and just say, oh look, you know, we paid X amount for it, and I can't disclose what the real amount was. But oh, okay. uh, look, it's paid for the tradesmen to come into the new house, and you know, we went and bought a fridge today and other such wonderful things. So look, you know, it's it's paying the mortgage for the next six months and and a bit more after that. So I know I think it's a great deal. No, I'm just I'm actually fascinated in the technique side because I sort of worked in M and A at the end of the the doc boom. And often in due diligence, a deal is pending due diligence, which can, which in some cases, depending on the binding elements of the contract, can either mean jack or jack shit or mean something. So, to what you just described there sounds to me like the classic eBay auction where someone says, I bid, you know, uh, $2,000 for that iPod player with no intention of going through with it, or they go, oh, I don't like this part of the spreadsheet. Um, and you said what happened is during that period they pulled out and then another player came in, is that right? Uh, that's pretty much what happened. Um, Fascinating. 
I didn't know the people, the guy who initially uh, bought it. The people I ended up selling it to, I'd actually had dealings with. So, and it's funny. Look, my old man was going to me from day one. Oh, look, you know, you're dealing with Americans. Make sure you get a, uh, you know, non-refundable deposit. You can't trust them. And I'm like, no, don't be stupid. Well, you know, without being too xenophobic yeah. about it, he was right. <laughs> um, because the first guy basically totally screwed us over. And I, and I won't go into all the details because I don't want no, to no. sue by him. But uh, no, we'll see him on eBay. It, it's gone to a good home. Uh, the people who have bought it are into blogging. Um, they understand the business. And yeah, at the end of the day, you know, you've only got so much time in the day. And I mean, I love the blog Herald. It was my life for three years. Um, but you know, as you all know, being in, in Web 2.0 businesses, but uh, you know, you've got to basically dedicate yourself to something. And the blog Herald was a distraction from the, the core focus I'm on, which is basically building B5 Media. So that's what you're doing today. You're one of the four, one, two, three, four, four principles. There is four. Yeah, three out of the four are Australian. Um, although we're actually uh, registered in Delaware, so we're an American company owned by Australians. Hey, um, speaking of which, I noticed that uh, you and your other co-founder D-Row are members of Two Wed. Why isn't the third Aussie Shy Coggins a member? I don't know. Um, Nick's not online. We should ask him why she, she hasn't got an invite. I mean, we, we need some females in, in Two Web, I think. Absolutely, and very attractive females like Shy as well wouldn't go astray. Oh, well, I'm not going to say no. You'll clean up the language problem. <laughs> oh, I don't know. And uh, Marty, give us a bit of an intro to yourself, mate, for the new listeners. G'day, g'day everybody um, in Cameron. Uh, I'm a uh, no, software... G'day everybody in Cameron. <laughs> Everyone in Cameron. What? <laughs> what? Well, we, we've broken saying hello to my phone. Robot, robot. I was saying hello to all the, the, the great people out there. And Cameron. <laughs> and Cameron. Encounters.typecad.com. Hey, don't raise that. Um, yeah, I'm a uh, sort of serial software uh, entrepreneur. I started a, a company a while back called Doc Communications, which uh, produced telecommunications software for internet service wholesalers, and, and that turned into a great business. And um, recently, have turned my hand to uh, uh, more of more of what I like, more in the area I like, which is uh, Web 2.0. And uh, I um, about 18 months ago started off Tangler with a with a a fresh presentation and uh, uh, managed to um, somebody said do sort of the impossible in, in Asia Pacific and, and raise money off a, a, off a PowerPoint and we've been in development for probably about um, 13 months now and uh, hopefully we'll have a product out in the next um, couple of months. So tell everybody what that product is going to be. Yeah, uh, it's it's going to change internet messaging. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a new spin on um, Really, uh, what we believe is in, uh, instant messaging taken to a to another level, but I can't really say it's um, at the two beer non-disclosure level. So most well, products start out at about I'm four beers, and slowly, uh, right now, I'm down to about. You'll know, take about. So two say beers something like Mietro. No, no, I can, I can, I'm not under NDA, so I can tell everybody what it's going to be like. But basically, um, it's inst- think instant messaging. Wait, but, but, no, no. <laughs> But and then there's but there's this uh, dongle that you have to buy that attaches from your USB <laughs> plug-in to your genitalia, and then when you're doing the uh, when you do a love heart, you know, an IM today, what actually happens is when somebody sends you one of those, it sends discreet little electronic vibrations down to your genitalia. That's why it's called Tangler, because you attach it to your tangle, <laughs> and and I'm all for that. Yeah, I reckon maybe. I reckon dude, this is this is one step before the virtual reality glove. You know? so, 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 the, the Australian version of the iBuzz, is it? 
What's the iBuzz? The, the iBuzz. Haven't you not heard about the iBuzz? Oh, this is the, the iPod vibrator? attachment. Oh. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't tried I like it out, though. The Xbox have you tried version. it out, mate? Uh, no, not yet. <laughs> it's on my Amazon wish list. There's an Xbox version, Rich? Yeah, yeah. I remember that about a year or two ago, somebody blogged about it. There's some attachment to the Xbox that uh, replaces the joystick and uh, you place it somewhere else. Excellent. I'm all for that. Well, that, that's, a, that's a good definition of tangle, mate. Thanks for that. <laughs> Can you guys hear that music? I guess you can't. I wish Skylock recorded this. I've just gone to ibuzz.co.uk and it's it's got a... Uh, a porn version of the Apple iPod ad going on. Where you can, it's got the same sort of, you know, primary colour backgrounds with uh, silhouetted characters with a white iPod with the, the two white cables coming up to these and then a white cable going down to the crotch out of the iPod. It's fantastic. But I can't... Oh, here we go. Here is I turn off the music somehow. I've got to put a link to it in the show notes. <laughs> Oh, and they're playing I Love Myself, uh, a version of the Divinals I Touch Myself, but they're calling it I Love Myself by the Bazooka Brothers is the theme song. Nice Aussie twist there. The old Divinals. <laughs> Go, Tangler. Whatever happened to Chrissy Amphlet? Oh, she started doing musicals or something, didn't she? Anyway, people outside this country will have no idea who the Divinals or Chrissy Amphlet are, so let's move on. Um, uh, I, before we get into the uh, non-agenda, <coughs> Marty, you invented something called the... <clears throat> the text on my uh, my ice cream stuck in my throat from dessert I had five minutes ago. You, you invented this Tech Crunch Awards thing today, mate. What the hell is the Tech Crunch Awards, and how do I win one? <laughs> Actually, yeah, look, like, like um, if you read my blog, most of my posts start out usually as um, as jokes, and then they sort of get a catch a bout of seriousness along the way of writing them. And uh, the Tech Crunch thing really started out as. Um, you know, um, having beers with someone else and uh, talking about the, the most stupid Web 2.0 awards we could think of. And uh, it sort of got out of control from there. And halfway through writing it, it sort of got serious. And I thought, gee, this sounds pretty good. And, and if anybody um, was sort of going to award people, I, I think that um, Mike Arrington would be a great choice to do that. And he's, he's probably the... I'd prefer him doing it rather than um, uh, some some mogul directive stepping in and, and making it oh, happen. Oh come on, so Mike Harrington! Mike Harrington is the the mogul of Web 2.0. He's like the you know omnipotent you know go-to <laughs> lawyer, come entrepreneur, come journalist. I mean, whatever. Um, it, I mean, just. He has the parties, he has the launches. I mean, he takes people's servers down. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I think his power is a bit high. I think Two Web's got to, um, you know, put a contract on Arrington. Yeah, look, but if you meet the, I mean, he's he's a great guy. I think what he's doing is good, and he seems he's very genuine about it. It's just it's more that there's nobody else who's who's out there um, who's an alternative. So you know, he's he's just by de facto. The, the sort of mothership of Web 2.0 at the moment. Can, can I thought there were 27 how million... That, how did that happen? I'd never heard of Mike, and then this thing, then you know, this thing comes out of nowhere, and I'm like, what? Who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, I mean, the the, the sort of the story which McKinsey or you know Harvard Business School will probably say in about five years was basically, you know, Mike was a lawyer, he'd worked on a range of transactions, sort of within Silicon Valley, um, involving some sort of quite well-known 1.0 companies. Um, anyway, blah blah blah. Like most lawyers, he could be a lawyer, and 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 what happened was he was doing, um, he's working with Keith Tear, who's now the CEO of. Edgio, and they've got a sort of a, a so-called venture sort of business, I think, Archimedes Ventures. Anyway, Mike being a lawyer, being analytical, being, you know, 
um, diligent, said, I'm going to do some sort of analysis of what's in the market because, you know, Edgeo classified listings on the edge uh, or on blogs. I don't, I don't want to doing what I'm doing, so I'm going to do analysis of the whole market. So he sort of started writing about it. I guess he thought he'd put, you know, theory into practice, and he started writing about it. Um, and I, I don't think he meant TechCrunch to become as all-consuming as it was. Uh, he just, his analysis became public, and then, um, you know, it became sort of hugely popular. And I guess, as you see, it's not like he's stopped doing TechCrunch, getting someone to write it, getting people like Nick, you know, stopping, uh, stopping a bedroom for a bit of business, Web 2.0, and he's still doing the edgeo.com play, but that's my sort of rough understanding how it happened. Can anyone explain to me what edgeo is? I, I had a very quick look at it when it sort of was getting a lot of hype a week or two ago, but I haven't really spent a lot of time on it. Oh, yeah, I mean, um, go on, Ben. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, I might walk me through a demo uh, and, and I'll probably get it wrong because I have a few sort of opinions on it. Uh, on the market, generally, I think the opportunity, which is put really simply, classifieds on blogs, that's the opportunity they're going for. Uh, and it's an aggregated and disaggregated play. Aggregated menu, you go to edgeo.com right now, uh, and it says... We're, you know, we're, we're indexing sort of uh, 28 million RSS feeds from, you know, 28 million sites. And they're, they're looking through the RSS feeds of all those sites for the, for the word listing. Uh, and the theory is if you're selling something, you'll put it on your blog. And I think it's the word listing that they're looking for. And, uh, and basically there's a sort of, there's some sort of a business model around that. You can pay, you can register or claim your listing or your site, like in Technorati. Uh, there's some sort of a premium placement business model down the track. But basically they're aggreg- they're trying to aggregate classifieds from people's blogs and, um, you know, enable people to sell stuff on their site. So Ben, is that how they're going to ultimately make money? That they're going to do some type of prioritisation of the, the listings? My understanding, yes, it's a it's a pro, yeah premium placement sort of uh, uh, yeah classified advertising type play. It's not sort of a eBay take two and a half percent in X dollars per listing. It's more you pay is, for premium placement. Do you think that's why they chose classifieds? I mean, it's a pretty as a technology this this idea of you know standardising tags and then having some great feeder to run around um, you know collecting data and displaying that is you know as a concept is is pretty easily applicable to a whole range of niche applications but they sort of they went after something you know akin to eBay do you think that was driven because they they wanted to monetize it Probably. I mean, it's a bit, you speak to the Bassets, you know, to tie it back to Australia about why they started seek.com.au or the original Jeff Bezos story about Amazon. You know, analytical people often will, when they're starting a new business, maybe they haven't worked in that direct business before and et cetera. Uh, Yeah, they just, I mean, classifieds, it's a huge market like vast.com at the moment in America, which is another classifieds play. I mean, I've been amazed in this whole market in the last few years at the lack of vertical plays, to be honest, the lack of uh, financial services plays, the lack of education plays, like a government, the lack of, uh, you know, cars, jobs, et cetera, even personals, all this sort of stuff. They've been amazed to the lack of uh, vertical plays. I mean, I guess I had a background working in carport watching that in Australia, but again, a lot of horizontal stuff. A lot of widget this, Ajax that, um, you know, cool communication app, blah. So, yeah, but I, but I don't know the why they picked happens, it. Mate? Isn't, that, isn't that the way but, Web 1.0 happened? 
that's sort of the way it has to happen. That, that no, not really. Yeah. Same as World 1.0, right? I mean, everything kind of it takes a while to mature, and the, the, the market on the net's not as mature as the real world yeah, market, and eventually the, it'll, it'll play out. You only see sort of... Um, no, but I guess what, what I'm um, saying, what I'm saying is that uh, you know we think about right at the start of the internet, there was sort of like eBay came out, you know, whatever it was, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, whenever it was, and Amazon, and then you know in Australia we had Seek, and there was there was a lot of people focused on you know large economic marketplaces, and I, I actually think in this new market you really you really had pitch to find anything that's sort of solving a industry problem. Like, think about anyone name a real estate web 2.0 site or a car one. It's very rare. Anyway, that's all. The idea of uh, picking a vertical and sticking to it is interesting. I, I was... Um blogging from the Teradata APAC conference up in Sydney last week and their opening keynote speaker was the founder of whatif.com out of Australia, a guy by the name of Graham Wood out of Brisbane actually. Do we have any two web members from Brisbane? No. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? (laughs) Well, yeah, but Graham sort of puts paid to that. Um, They launched, I mean, I know this is Web 2.0, but it plays to the story. They launched or sort of got started in 1999 and then floated sort of in, or or did their capital raising in March 2000. Very uh, awesome timing. You couldn't have picked it better just as the whole dot-com thing was crashing down about them. But, uh, you know, six years later, they're doing $30 million a month, and they're all around hotel accommodation. And, and you know, you, you can only book 14 days in advance. It's like selling uh, distressed inventory, I think is what he called it. But he said that still, six years later, that's all they do. He said, you know, we could have diversified into car hire or this or that, but they haven't. All they do six years later is still distressed inventory for hotel accommodation. And, you know, and, and I bet global. nobody's heard of them, right? Well, I mean, they're doing thirty million a month. So oh, and it was I interesting. Mean, I mean, in the technical innovation market, you're not really going to hear of something like that because the innovation and early adopted market hates niches. They, and they that's the beauty of it, right? Abstract, I, cool, earth-changing concepts, and you want to a hardcore geek going after. Hmm. But, but you don't I actually heard about it from a wife. You don't have to be the, you know, the number one company out there, though. I mean, you know, if you're actually targeting that niche and, and making money out of that niche, so what if you're not in the magazines, you're not in the newspaper? Well, interestingly, he said in his talk that they have never spent a dollar on offline marketing and in the six years, and uh, that I think he said the uh, hotel accommodation booked online, I'm not sure if this was global or in Australia, I think it might be in Australia, but he said only something like 8% of hotel accommodation is currently booked online. So he sees, you know, the other 92% as his growth opportunity in Australia, let alone the rest of his international business. Um, but, you know, that, it's an interesting story about do you go wide and, and pick up all of this ancillary business or do you just stay focused on one thing and become known as, you know, best of breed in that particular space? Anyway. I think it's a good example of a, of a mature marketing campaign that if you've got an abstract product that's you know, technically cool, being able to make a transition from that to um, something which you know, moves into more early majority marketing has got to go niche and it's, it's got to be more practical, it's got to be less cool and less innovative and um, you know, it's more about delivering real value. And, and that could be a really hard transition for a lot of um, you know, technical, innovative plays to make because... You know, the, the buzz comes out of creating something that 
you know, um, makes their peers, you know, really excited and, and um, going for a niche play booking holidays is, is really something that's um, not going to do that. So it's, it's a really tough thing. I also I think you see this case where um, they, they take out innovation management and, and move in, um, you know, management more experience with monetizing, you know, niche plays and, and doing that to try and take a business out of this early... Um, early adopter innovator segment into early majority you know that's a really difficult thing to do and and um, you know I think that these companies that just just make a jump straight into that are, um, are certainly there a lot of the time they're not sexy you know, but um, they make a lot of money mm. so guys tell me what's the big news in web 2.0 this week from your perspective you're gonna need oh, go tech crunch I, I, one example which I've uh, been looking at which I found interesting is the Guardian. Uh, the Guardian had a debrief on their um, uh, comment is free uh, blog, which the Guardian, you know, big newspaper in the UK, launched last week. And they were they've sort of written a post which uh, which talks about how different the um, all they were ch- they weren't editing, they weren't subbing, they weren't doing all the things. The only thing they did was checking for libel that what we're saying wasn't um, illegal. So uh, this whole sort of uh, uh, you know, big big media companies having to get into uh, even podcasting with the cranktv.com.au, Osterio and Sony, uh, The Guardian, etc. I think it's a really interesting area. Why? Why is that interesting? Well, I mean, you've got people that own, uh, you know, the, you read the paper in the morning, you watch TV, you listen to the radio. These people have, you know, huge, huge customer um, you know, databases and basically uh, this new stuff as, you know, it's the old professional versus amateur content and, um, yeah, some of it's going to come from the sort of, uh, you know, the indie or startup crowd and some of it's going to come from uh, the, the bigger players and really what's going to, you know, the end point is just, you know, there's going to be a, a combination of the two. So it's just, it's interesting watching some of the big players really struggle and understand uh, but still, still have a shot. Where well, you got people like Telstra, who had their blog. Um, well, they they launched blogging a couple of weeks ago, and the page had coming soon on it. Yeah, so it sounds to me like the, the spoken words of a man whose business play is all around helping big old media companies get hip to the Web <laughs> two dot zero thing, Benji. Well, yeah, probably, probably, probably is. I don't, I don't have the same sort of, um, you know, oh, they're big evil people, and then oh no, but I want to do a deal with them. Uh, psychosis going on, uh, you know. It's uh, the, 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 you know, doing a couple projects, and and uh, you know, the the main ones don't involve media plays. Uh, but you know, but yeah, but to be honest, I, you know, I, I just think it's an interesting. You said what's happening this week. Uh, well, they're, yeah, they're doing stuff this week it's pretty look it is pretty strange um isn't isn't the sort of if you take information and then you sanitize it and prove it and look at it in the whole context of a story and and uh, get editors to check it and then you know present it and as part of a sort of integrated solution that's all the stuff that traditional um uh, media publishing is doing and if you you turn into a blog you sort of part of what a blog is you take the the um raw information and you just present that and strip everything else away and um, you know that, that really seems to be um, um, stripping away the uh, advantage of traditional media. I gave a talk last week. Um, Des Paros, uh, Des Walsh, and I. Do you guys know Des Walsh? Yeah, the guy from the Gold Coast. Yeah, 
He, uh, he and Des Parrells and I uh, gave a talk to the Australian Marketing Institute in Sydney on Wednesday night last week. Des is, um, um, no disrespect to Des if he's listening, this is Des Walsh that is, but he's, you know, he's got to be at least, I don't know, 70. <laughs> and, but he did a great talk. He's a great blogger and, and runs a great business around blogging and uh, did a great talk. But one of the things I said to the, uh, the marketing folks, because we got talking about corporate blogs and how do you start a corporate blog and what they should do, blah, blah, blah. And my, my advice to them was, and I thought I was going to get in trouble with this, I said, look, the last thing you should do is have your, your, your marketing or your PR department start a corporate blog because you guys have spent your entire careers being taught how not to talk you know, how to filter, how to spin, how to, you know, lie without really lying. But, and that's, that doesn't make a good blog. And I thought they'd all shoot me down. I thought, you know, I was, you know, you guys know me. I don't mind uh, throwing these things out there just to create a bit of argument and debate. And they all nodded and laughed and agreed with me. And I thought, oh, shit, is that a turning point? When all, when all your marketing execs go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we you know, every time we open our mouths, we're talking shit. <laughs> But that's the, I mean, the, the, I mean, having my first job was in an ad agency and, uh, you know, any, any them and us thing is sort of, you know, it's like when people say, oh, you know, the internet's going to take over from TV or whatever, or the TV should get the internet. There are just a whole lot of people working in there trying to, you know, get through their day and, um, you know, do, do their jobs basically. So, yeah, I don't know. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't make fun of them when we have the opportunity. Absolutely not, no. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch uh, came out last week and spoke to a bunch of journos uh, at some party, I think, for him celebrating his 75th birthday. He said, power is moving away from the old elite in our industry, the editors, the chief executives, and let's face it, the proprietors. According to uh, what I was reading in some news article, he then went on to say he enthused about a digital future that would put that power in the hands of those already launching a blog every second, sharing photos and music online and downloading television programs on demand. What does it mean about the state of things when uh, Rupert Murdoch comes out and says that? Well, he's, he's still basically ahead of the game, isn't he? I mean, even at his old age, uh, you know, so many people in mainstream media do not get Web 2.0. They don't get um, you know, the whole movement we've got going on in blogging and podcasting. Uh, Rupert's one of the very few who does. I mean, the, the hundreds of millions he's spent on MySpace, um, the other web buys he's bought in the last 12 months, and, and probably more ahead of us as well. So that's what, that's what I see it as. I mean, Ben, I know you have something to say on this. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to. <laughs> I'm really not trying to pop up the sort of the ma- mainstream media, but the yeah, I think the really interesting thing there's a lot of uh, uh, nuance, I guess you'd say. But basically, I reckon Silicon Valley don't have an effing clue what's going on. Um, mainly, like uh, I mean, I think Nick says everyone in everyone in San Francisco, all these sort of nerdy type sort of stealth startup engineering focused people, like oh yeah, we're in discussions with Fox, you know. And as Nick says, everyone's speaking to to Fox or news. Uh, and I mean, you know, like that whole joke that they played on stuff that even TechCrunch couldn't figure out for a week or so. It's like we've bought someone here in this room, and you know, which of the thirty two companies is it? But really, we're probably by five or six of you. Um, on, ben, even I can say we've been approached by Fox to do an article syndication at one stage. So I mean, look, but Fox talks to everybody. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, down here, they're, you know, they're going to do similar things and people are already talking about, oh, they're fun this and, you know, 
E Corp Two and all this sort of rubbish. And um, you know, but I, I, what I find fascinating is the clash of media and entertainment um, sort of uh, vision. You know, they, they've just said it's, their strategy is really simple: under thirty, user generated content. You know, you know, MTV, the sequel done by Rupert Murdoch, two billion dollar fund, buy stuff up cheap, integrate it, run it, whatever. And so all these people in the valley, which aren't media people, you know, that was one of the 1.0 lessons, you know, they don't really know eyeballs and media as well as they know, you know, cool gadget geek shit. And, um, yeah, so it's um, pretty fast. I mean, I mean, come on, I mean, Murdoch, uh, you know, supposedly the speech uh, wasn't, uh, I've been told the speech wasn't actually on media. It was actually on to do with um, medical innovations and um, stuff like that, genetics and stuff. And all those quotes that we read, which sort of seem to be pro-internet, pro-entrepreneurship, are actually taken out of context and it was a medical focus speech. There you go. <laughs> so biotech's the future, guys. Biotech and energy is a new internet. Um, and private equity, too. Venture capital, I mean, you want to be in private equity. That's where the real business is being made, you know. Billion-dollar funds take 20% of the profits, you know. Like the Coles Wi-Fi recently, the internet's just like all these, like, a $4 million bloody capital raising so you can sell your company for $25 million to you. Come on. This is chump change. Mm. Well, you've heard, obviously, the new VC, the funding model going around at the moment is where they won't actually take capital in your company, but they want 50% back when you go to sell or when you uh, IPO. And we've already had a couple of uh, people sniffing around with that sort of model. I mean, you know, exactly. what, 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 I haven't heard that. Yeah. Do they give you money? Do they give you money, sorry? Or yeah, do they just take the, 50? No, no, they'll give, you money, they'll give you money up front, and basically they want a 50% return within sort of 12 to 24 months when you then yeah. uh, on-sell the business or you go IPO. And they won't take equity in the company. Maybe that's um, you know up against this uh, value-led wow. angel stuff where they yeah. they say they'll the, you know angels will undercome below the VCs, uh, and they'll do that with a we'll we'll, we'll uh, you know come in at whatever price you can manage to get the VCs to come in at you know twenty or forty percent um, below that amount. It's sort of um, it's sort of accounted to that by the VCs. And that's pretty much where they're coming at. Yeah. Um, but it's a different model because, you know, particularly for, I mean, in, in our case of B5, one of the hardest things talking to investors is obviously giving up a, a stake of the company because you're so invested in it. Um, but, yeah, you know, this is a model we're looking at. I mean, we're, we're only progressing at talking to people at the moment. Um, and I but think Cameron knows this. What, Sorry? What's the difference, mate, if you're giving away equity or giving away 50% of the value once you sell the business? Um, not 50% of the actual sale of the business, 50% basically on top of what they put in. So say they put in a million, you, you owe them in 1.5. It's basically like a high-interest loan, if you like. Um, oh, you mean, oh, well, there's a debt facility as well, is there there? Um, I don't know exactly how they structure it. Um, so they take the, they take the, well, I, I bet you what, they, what you're saying is they take, if you sell your business, they take the $1.5 million back, because that was a debt facility, and then they take 50% of the sale as well. It's like a record artist uh, no, trying to make my, my, money. My, my, my understanding is basically that they'll put in, say, the X amount of figure, and even when you go to sell or IPO, then they want their money back plus 50%. There's no, there's no psychics. I mean, we're only, we're only at the stage of investigating that sort of stuff, and it's, it's one of the no, things no, that's popped up. And, and look, it's an interesting model. It's something different anyway. It's fascinating. Well, I mean, I've even heard from people who, um, you know, dealing with Silicon Valley venture capitalists, mm. you know, that you can you can go there and they're like, well, we'll take 50% and then we've got our 
allocate um, 30% to the, to the options plan um, and then 20% for the founders. And then maybe the founders can have a bit of the options play. Um, but, you know, that's why venture capitalists talk about, you know, the clawback, you know, or the clawback or the earnback, you know, or clawing back your own bloody company. You know, that's why, guys, that's why I'm really, um, you know, I, I just sort of sit here and I'm very much focused on my own backyard because I know to compete to America, uh, got to be in America, you know, probably more, um, much less than you had to. There's a big difference now. And, you know, like B5 Media, early on the curve, great people, executed well. There's definitely, you know, you need, not like, you know, Red Sheriff spent $40 million, you know, in 99 or whatever, and that was a disaster. But, um, yeah, it's interesting the whole sort of what it takes to succeed in America. I mean, Duncan, do you find it hard being in a, in Australia when you know you're doing so much over in America? Um, that's mainly why. It, well, when we started B Five, I mean, my little history is, is I started a blog network called Weblog Empire, which was a, a bit of a take on something Jason Calacanis had once said. He once gave a speech where he talked about building a Weblog Empire. So I registered the the domain and went from there. But yeah, look, being in Australia, particularly being in Western Australia, I mean, you know, we're, we're ten years behind Sydney as it is, and about fifty years behind the United States. So yeah, um, it, it is very very hard with the time zone. Um, mm. You know, I wake up in the morning and I'll have three or four uh, voicemail messages from the States and, and then trying to get back into contact because of the time difference but having a diversified company as we've now got and okay yeah there's three Australians in it but particularly having Jeremy Wright who some of you will know um, who's quite a well known blogger around the traps and I think was even with the TPN at the moment for a while there wasn't he Cameron? For about five minutes mate yeah. Oh, about five minutes he, yeah. He didn't cut it with TPN but I'm glad that he's made it as part of it. it. I mean Jeremy's become our president he, he's our voice and, and you know he, he's basically <laughs> at the conferences in the US and Canada um um, he's able get to talk to the years. Can he? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they let him, they've actually let him back in. Now, it's actually funny you should say that. I broke that story at the Blog Herald. He actually deleted it about five minutes after he posted it. But uh, that's how we got to know him. It's a, it's a funny side story. But uh, no, no, they let him back in the US. He's actually having someone in the North American market who can talk to people in real time, um, who doesn't have to take messages, who can um, negotiate ad deals. I mean, for, for us, that makes a huge difference. I honestly don't think we could do it without Jeremy. Um, mm. You really need, if you're chasing that market, you're chasing money out of that market, you can't do it without someone in North America. Um, we love you, Jeremy. Let me ask you guys a question then. In terms of capital raising and the attitude of American VCs, American investors towards foreign entities, what have you found? Uh, the attitude isn't um, all that good. You, you, you probably um, excluded uh, pretty much straight away from maybe half of the VCs and angel groups um, in the valley. Some of the ones, surprisingly, some of the ones outside the valley um, can be can be a bit more receptive. But they just, you know, generally they just don't like um, dealing that much with a, with a foreign entity and all the complexity that goes with that. They have enough trouble dealing with the um, US um, corporations law, let alone trying to deal with um, Australia's as well. So it is pretty hard. Uh, but there are ways around that, you know, becoming incorporated in the US and... Uh, effectively becoming a U.S. business, which is what they fund, um, and then just having the, the development out here and the, the office out there. And that, that's probably, you know, maybe what, what Nick is, is doing as well, that, um, that, that type of mix, is, is really probably what you'd have to do if you're going to be taking VC funding. 
So I know one thing that I found when I was starting TPN is I, I had no background. This is my first time going through this kind of stuff. I did raise $3 million in uh, about February 2000, I had to say, on the back of an envelope uh, over dinner one night. But I gave it back a month later. Me? I gave it back a month later when everything fell down around back. my house. I did, I did. When I when I could see the. Is that uh, where the BMW came from? When I could. No, that was that was. <laughs> when they got of, to due diligence, you yeah, should have the cash. That was courtesy of Microsoft. To see that contract. When I. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but when, when I could see everything crumbling, I said, nah, take this back, guys. I don't want to be part of this. But, uh, you know, going through this... What was it for, Cam? What sort of business? I haven't heard that story. Oh, you were not was... letting this go. No, well, a mate of mine and I had this idea we called Golf Lounge. And uh, you guys have heard my Princess Mary story, right? I'm sure yeah, everybody... It's everybody good, mate. Keep it going. Princess Mary story. So late 99, um, my best mate and I had this idea that it was really hard to book around a golf on a decent golf course in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of public golf courses down here, and to book a, go- book a game on one, you-, you ring them up, they're engaged, you can spend hours trying to get through on a Thursday or a Friday to a lot of these golf courses, you finally get through to the one you want, they go, no, sorry, we're full on Saturday, and then you start ringing around again, we thought, wouldn't it be great if you had like an online booking service where you could see the availability of all of these golf courses, and you could book it directly online. So we went out and we talked to these golf courses. They said it was great, fabulous. We were going to put uh, web-enabled PCs on all of their front desks, get rid of the old pencil and paper calendar, e-enable them, and do the whole deal. So that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to take a buck, a buck from every person who makes a booking online. (laughs) Just put a buck Uh, on top. The old clip-the-ticket model for the golf. The old 1%, yeah. Yeah. It makes anyway. a lot of sense that Microsoft people would spend their time thinking about that sort of stuff. <laughs> but anyway, going into the TPN thing, I, I had no experience in raising capital and, you know, fortunately didn't plan on raising capital anyway, planned on just self-funding it for the first couple of years. But my question for all of the new or, or wannabe Aussie entrepreneurs listening to the show, who they've got a tech, let's say they've got a technology background, they've got a great idea, they can see a great new Web 2.0 thing, widget that they should launch. What sort of experience or tips can you give these guys on how do you get through that capital rate, how do you go and find an investment bank or a VC or an angel or somebody to come and help you through that process? What did you guys Cameron, do? Cameron, first thing I'd do is spend 300 US dollars and I'd register a Delaware LLC, which is what we did. Um, it's not a lot of money if you think about it. Um, when you you're do talking that about online? Absolutely. As an Aussie? Yep. Where, how, can. where do you go to do that, Don? Oh, um, I can find you the, uh, the link to put on thing. It's the, the, you just type in Delaware Incorporation into Google. I think I just typed that in and did a review site. Um, had a look at various couple of sites. I mean, you're going to pay anywhere from about 200 US to for about 500. Um, you do have to pay the ongoing fee. The, the 300 we paid was uh, included in 99 dollars. This is there our registered agents. So you had to have a Delaware address. Um, so it's $200 for registration in the US and about $99 for them to be the registered agents for a year. You pay your $99 a year. There's no company tax uh, in Delaware. So basically, if your company is profitable, you basically pay that out as wages. So say if B5 eventually you know, actually pays out some money to me, as opposed to where we're at the moment where everything gets reinvested into the business, um, I'll have to pay out, obviously, Australian uh, taxes when, even when B5 pays me. Um, but for $300, when you're talking about, what, $999 base to get a proprietary limited Australian company, it, it's a cheap exercise. And the moment you start talking of VC documents and saying to people, well, look, we've got a Delaware registered company, 
you know, that there is prick up. If you say, oh, we've got this company in Australia, it's, it's a different kettle of fish, really. People, you know, particularly American investors, aren't, aren't interested. Um, but having on the flip side of that, we've actually spoken quite recently to a guy at a Canberra who's into VC. So there are VC investors in Australia, but look, for 99 people out of 100, you give it off to extract the states. It's where the money is. Um, not exactly all in the valley, but you know most of the money is in the states. So you know it, it's an unfortunate thing, and I know talking, you know, you guys were talking the last podcast about it, but you know our government hasn't done enough in terms of tax incentives to encourage VC capital into Australia. That, that, that's the the reality. I'll and tell you what, though, um, at the I, I'm just. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's my own self-selection at the moment, you know, the momentum of stuff. But there is a lot of money actually sitting on the sitting on the 